Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. So welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, this year in review episode. What a year it's been. What a year it's been. We have in the studio Dr. Murray and myself, and we're kind of doing a roundtable with a couple people. Right now we have Ben Johnson on. He's no stranger here. Been on uh, New Cyber Frontier before. Uh, your episode had the great numbers. Everybody loved the energy and the startup uh, kind of thought process there that's rolling through your brain. Um, but uh, looking at, we're going into year review. Dr. Murray, thoughts on uh, on where things go and uh, <laughs> We could definitely uh, hear from Ben, but uh, 2020, what were the themes and what do you see as, a, as, as what stood out to you there, Ben? And the, start with you. Sure. Yeah. So thanks for having me, guys. And uh, always fun to to be on here. Great show. And, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, sadly, it started with COVID and ended with solar winds and sunburst and all the all the fun stuff over the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, it's not fun. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, the whole work from anywhere, work from home uh, transition that that pretty much happened overnight for, for firms. And then from a cybersecurity perspective, it was all about how do we continue the business? How do we, you know, have business continuity? I think most cybersecurity teams kind of dropped the security part for a couple of weeks and just, you know, dove into the trenches with the IT teams and then said, okay, now when we have this new reality, now we have to go back and secure it. And then of course, on the the, the threat side, you had a lot of ransomware, you had the the whole uh, solar winds, you know, thing that I talked about and that kind of thing. And, and a lot of uncertainty throughout the middle of the year. So certainly can talk about all that, but yeah, just a crazy, crazy year and, and a lot to defend from a cybersecurity perspective. So what stood out to you the most in 2020? And we could go into all those things, but <laughs> If you had to say this was the new reality, the new change, the the exceptional deficiency, what was it? Yeah, I think I think you know putting putting sort of the health health and you know kind of global concerns aside, talking more tech, you know, I think it's it's really the adoption of thousands of offices, right? Basically the work from home office uh, for each company and, and what that meant from an IT perspective and therefore then a cyber defense, cybersecurity perspective and how do we continue to give people access and yet knowing that we don't really control physical access anymore and we don't necessarily have on-prem network monitoring or some of these other things that I think companies built their programs around. So it's really about, it's about cloud, it's about remote, it's about endpoints, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think really just the whole like distributed nature of cyber defense is really what stood out to me. Yeah. And you always have a good finger on the pulse of the startup community uh, in that area. What do you think, how was that impacted? It seemed like that almost went silent in cybersecurity. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, or at least in the first half of 2020, it was there was so much uncertainty about the economy and, you know, jobs and all the other things that I think uh, in terms of fundraising and that kind of thing, pretty much everything stopped for for the summer uh, in terms of, you know, startups getting funding or that kind of thing, especially from the very early side, right? If you already had a uh, company going and, and, a, and a venture going, I think then you got more attention because the investors wanted to place, you know, what they considered maybe a safer bet, putting more money into an existing investment. And then from what security companies or startups tried to do, I think everyone tried to help, right? I mean, I think it was all about, hey, how can we how can we continue to build our businesses, but still understand that, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty and teams are overwhelmed and they're trying to do IT and security now and all these other things. So how can we help enable them and, you know, uh, just work more collaboratively together? So I think it was a really, a really good year for learning uh, and it was really interesting. And now we're starting to, I think, come out of that and get a little bit back more towards uh, normal in the startup scene. Yeah. Definitely. Let's take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back after this break. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, this year in review, Dr. Murray, myself, and Ben Johnson, Dr. Murray, thoughts on, you know, I was doing most of the talking before. I know you got something built up there. Yeah, Ben, yeah, great contributions to the community. Um, you know, just like uh, Chris said, uh, lots of focus on your last contribution to the show. So I'd like to shift kind of uh, to artificial intelligence. So in 2019, you know, we saw lots of, uh, of the, the key stakeholders with their various technologies. We're going to be kind of agnostic on, on pointing out who, uh, but now, you know, with all the data that's being collected worldwide, uh, you know, due to the pandemic and, and all of these different things we're learning, where do you see AI? It, it doesn't seem to be on the forefront of, of the focus, probably because of the pandemic and, and of course the election and all the, all the other things that are going on. Where do you see AI right now? And, and do you, where do you see it going here probably in the next year or so? Yeah, I think, I think AI is one of those challenging topics because there's there's a lot of promise and and even a lot of uh, delivery, like a lot of a lot of true value that's that's added. Yet there's also a lot of uh, buzzwords and marketing, and <laughs> so cutting through the noise is is always challenging. Yeah, I think you know what what do we all need? We all need more time. We all need more more people, more expertise. You know, sort of pick your 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 deficiency there. But they all kind of come down to like there's a lot that we're trying to defend and do and not necessarily a lot of defenders. And so anything that can help advance 
uh, our leverage or increase our leverage in terms of one person can now defend a bigger environment or do more. And, you know, I think you, you start to think about automation and you start to think about things like AI and ML, where it can help you make better decisions, maybe point out more uh, important insights to go look at or alerts or better, you know, better things to spend your time on. So I think, I think AI will continue to uh, impact cybersecurity in a very positive way in terms of taking all of this behavioral data or just, you know, for example, who has privileges and who maybe doesn't need privileges or all these other things where as a human, you could probably figure it out, but it's going to take a long time and a lot of analysis, whereas machines should be able to do that quite quickly and, and continuously. So I think AI is going to continue to help on a more continuous assessment, continuous monitoring sense, whether it's behavior and looking for anomalies and that kind of thing, or from, hey, uh, here's some people that aren't using their accounts or don't need all these privileges. Like, I think there's a lot of people excited about that kind of application of, of machine learning and AI, where you can look at someone's peer groups and, you know, job titles and other things and try to discern like, hey, this is, this is not what we would expect. Like, why does this person have God mode, basically, in this application when no one else on their team does. And so I think uh, there is a lot of promise for for AI to help identify some of those areas and then still have a human kind of dive in and, and make the final call. Yeah. You know, I heard you say should and could and probably quite a few times. And I've been hearing those words around AI probably for almost a decade. Right. Have we got any closer? It seems like that's kind of the, the, the point I think I heard Dr. Murray is this year it seemed like go out of focus. Have we moved it forward? Where, where are things at? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's moving forward. Uh, there's more data, there's more understanding of the right ways to apply, you know, AI or ML or other, other topics, uh, because it's all about getting good data in. You can't just like hook up quote unquote AI to your network or your, you know, cloud systems or whatever. And it just finds evil. I mean, that's the goal, <laughs> but you really have to make sure the right data is going in and you're thinking about the right, you know, labeling and classifications, and all these other aspects. Uh, and I think we're, we as a cybersecurity community are getting a better sense of the kinds of problems that AI is good at and how to insert that into a human team and then, you know, advance the team. So I do think there's a lot of progress that's been made and it'll continue to, to, to move forward over the next couple of years. Uh, and so I do think it is adding efficiencies or better alerting or other things. Uh, it's just not like a plug it in, walk away and your, you know, Skynet just saves the day kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would go along with that. You know, Chris and I were talking before the, the session. Um, in many industries, this pandemic has created uh, petabytes worth of data. Uh, humanistically, we're not going to be able to do that until you get to a level three, level four AI solution to be able to parse through all of that and, and, and make use or valuable use of all, all of the data that's been collected. Now, data scientist is the number one most sought after position in many different industries. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, breaking, breaking down what you said, there's, there's a lot of data. So that's, that's a positive for training AI, training ML, applying, you know, different algorithms to the data sets. Uh, so it starts with collecting all the data, but then again, you have to kind of normalize it or put it in the right format so that it's, you know, understood and it can feed into these systems. Uh, and then again, I think it comes back to stepping back and saying, hey, where should we truly apply some of these technologies to either fill a gap in our team to increase an efficiency, to create leverage, whatever it is. Um, 
you know, it's not just about throwing data at the problem. It's more like, what is the problem you want to solve with AI? I think that's a question we don't ask enough as cyber defense teams or security programs. And then working backwards and saying, okay, what data do we need? What can we apply from a technology or an algorithm perspective? Then what is it supposed to do in terms of the workflow, right? Is it supposed to enhance the the SOC, is it supposed to talk directly to the account owner, you know, the, the employee who's maybe not technical? Like, so I think, I think we still need to figure out some of these things just as a community. I do think there's progress there and I do think it starts with the data to your point, uh, but we still have to ask ourselves some of these questions. Yeah, it's all about that. I think you're talking about the value of the data and then what can we use it for? Yep. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm looking at a startup community and, uh, you know, what if I had a million dollars to fund something that's going to be the next thing, you know, what would that be? And how has that changed from last year? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, you know, I think, look, I think startups are always trying to be ahead of the game or, you know, it's going to take maybe a couple of years to build your product or whatever. And so you have to be thinking down the road. And I think the whole sort of digital transformation, you know, cloud migration was already happening. And then COVID, like, poured gasoline on it. And then like solar winds maybe was like the dynamite on top of that or whatever analogy you want to use um, because, you know, the attack vector was more on-prem to start with there. So I think, you know, you're already trying to figure out like how as a organization can I do less around IT and my own sort of management and more just enabling our competitive differentiation. You know, like if, if the company doesn't need to buy hardware or manage systems and it can all be SaaS or, you know, AWS or whatever it is, you know, I think there's some huge efficiencies there. So then from a security or a startup perspective, where are things going? And I think, you know, you're still gonna have employee devices. So endpoints, phones, et cetera. Cloud is a huge area. I mean, you have IaaS, PaaS, SaaS, you have all sorts of different things within those, right? I mean, every day Amazon or Microsoft add more and more services, you know, within their ecosystem, like different databases and stuff. So if you care about security, how do you defend those? Um, you have more and more SaaS apps. You have IoT is still, I think, like, I don't know that it got necessarily a lot of play this year, at least in terms of my exposure to 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 media and stuff like that. But it's it's huge, right? I mean, it continues to to do smart cities and, and industrial control systems and stuff like that. So I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. Um, and then, you know, there's still like what role do humans or does the SOC play within these you know, companies, um, especially when the companies are getting decentralized in terms of each business unit has more control over the technology they're using, right? I mean, HR might be bringing in Workday and sales team might be bringing in Salesforce or whatever it is. Okay, but now it's starting to be a more distributed technology uh, ecosystem in your company. So what does that mean for cybersecurity? And how can you build systems that maybe stitch different systems together to give monitoring to the SOC? Or do you give something uh, as a security product that's used by someone that's less maybe technical or less security knowledgeable, but can still defend? So I think there's different areas to, to invest in, but I think it comes down really to things like cloud, endpoints, IoT, and then areas like um, uh, automation and AI, like we talked about before. So, you know, it, it still would depend on the team and <laughs> what you believe in and your investment. You know, I think it starts with the people, like you get to first and foremost invest in the people, but uh, you know, it's a tough question and, and one that investors are always trying to figure out like, what is the next, you know, big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things you mentioned, Ben, that is a key point is, is all the different business units 
uh, invest in the technology to make themselves either more efficient or, you know, provide some return on investment. But, uh, you know, oftentimes we see those business units don't involve in the procurement system, uh, the procurement process or the, the acquisition process. Now we're, we're going back to supply chain. What are they introducing to the organ? What risk are they introducing to the organization that we could have vetted prior to them going out and purchasing stuff? Um, I, I go back and specifically recall one client. She was the CISO of a $43 billion uh, healthcare um, um, organization here in the United States while she was in one of our courses, uh, two physicians had gone out, bought some Google Glasses, a collaboration platform. Uh, they were doing a follow-up with a patient uh, who had, had just had a partial mastectomy, and it was being broadcast with 47 medical students uh, halfway across the world in India. No disclosure, no uh, consent. Um, so we still have those challenges, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, what... What I've heard recently is that CISOs have built relationships with finance, and so they've basically got finance to agree to not sign off on anything unless security has reviewed it. So there's some of those wins, I think, that are starting to happen in terms of relationship building or inserting in the correct part of the process, or at least that, I'm not saying that's the correct part of the process, but at least that's like your last, you know, point of no return kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, if you can involve security, earlier or, or as the security program, you can go to these different business units and get a security champion who's at least going to involve you in the, the some of the vetting, the vendor risk management, the assessment, to, you know, do they even have SOC 2 or do they encrypt the data, whatever, right, whatever it is, how is this going to be used in the in the environment? Are you going to bring this into the environment, put our critical data in, and we actually see this a lot, put our critical data in the system, and then hire a bunch of offshore developers and give them administrator access, right? Like, you know, not saying you can't do that, but like you, your security team should probably know, you know, that's happening. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to process and, you know, security team does have to try to say yes most of the time. Otherwise people are just going to go around you in this day and age. So it's really like, how do you say yes, but still vet and, and, and give your concerns and give your assessment and then try to instill best practices and policies. So yeah, I think it's it's challenging, but you gotta have these multiple control points, try to build the upstream relationship with the business unit, but then that sort of downstream you know, <laughs> protection with finance of like, hey, you're not gonna pay for something unless you've seen me sign off on it or something like that as the CISO or the security lead. So I think, yeah, it is challenging, but I think s security teams are starting to figure out how to, to sort of play the process game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, keeping these, these short because we have a couple people ringing on. One other thing I wanted to, to put in here, we get a bite on, and we'll separate this out. Anything you can say about the solar winds uh, hack that or whatever that might be something we need to get out to the general public. The the solar winds attack was really just taking advantage of the complicated environments and the, the supply chain and the upstream 
mechanisms we have. But that's also just the attack vector. Once you get in, there's a lot that could be done. They could be reading email, files, spreading, all these other things. So I think it's it's creating awareness around what are all the open doors or open windows in our environments? You know, all these different systems are integrated. You have API tokens, you have contractors. So really trying to understand your surface area, but then also understanding like if someone got into your domain controller, what would they do downstream? And I think stepping back and assessing your environment is something we all need to do. All right. Well, thanks. Good. Always good to hear a little bit from people and involved with it, what it is that uh, they're looking at and uh, addressing. We've got a special guest, uh, Doc Klodnicki, CEO and founder of Arity, um, here in Colorado Springs. Uh, you know, Doc, you and I go way back. Uh, you know, we've created our own messes uh, in the world, but uh, welcome to the show. Um, we're, we're looking at a, re a year in review for 2020, global pandemic, um, technology, cybersecurity. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, what you've seen over the last uh, year since this pandemic has started? Wow. Yeah, quite the year. Um, I would say that, you know, CMMC and the accreditation body got started at the beginning of the year. Uh, then the pandemic hit. Uh, and then we had the supply chain issues associated with the pandemic. Um, the CMMC model continued to grow. The interaction between the accreditation body and the government continued to mature. Um, supply chain issues became a big deal. Uh, then here in fall, there was a signature between the government and the accreditation body. We got some uh, training done of uh, a number of different uh, levels of certification at the initial level under CMMC. And then we had the FireEye Solar Wind. Uh, and so uh, it, if, if you didn't go to college, but were alive during 2020, you got a master's degree <laughs> in, in how does business really respond uh, across the board. And so I think if, if you focus on just the cybersecurity aspect, I think there's a couple of things that that we've learned we need to continue to work on. And I would say one is the taxonomy. Cybersecurity professionals know what they're talking about and they tend towards terminology, uh, acronyms, uh, and skipping steps because you, you don't always, you know, so when you tell someone, hey, get your shoes on, you don't say, you know, and make a loop and go around or, you know, push the Velcro down. And so in cybersecurity realm, we're dealing with businesses who are trying to understand the taxonomy of cybersecurity. Uh, and so it, they may understand what an AR loan is, you know, accounts receivable loan is a loan against money that's promised to you. If you say VPN, they, they may just go, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Um, and then likewise, we're seeing that uh, some companies are willing to just jettison the use of the electronic media and go back to just hard copies send me a hard copy and I'll put it in my desk drawer. Uh, you know, I'll secure it in that way. Um, and so we're finding a lot of adaptive uh, behaviors within small business. Uh, and then always the cost. Uh, when do I need to spend money to be cyber secure and how much do I need? Uh, is it worthwhile to spend five, 10, $15,000 now to get basic cyber hygiene that has absolutely no chance of being able to be built upon to get CMMC in five years? Or do I put 15, 30,000 into something now that can scale later? Uh, and that's going to have to be a, a business decision made by a business person who either does or doesn't have the money. Uh, cash flow is king, um, you know, and, and whether or not they want to go into a loan situation. Uh, and then now you've got 
you know, you always had a CEO, a COO, a CFO, and we've created a couple C's over the last few years, and now the CIO. Um, you can hire a CPA, and they can perform the functions of your CFO. Well, you could hire an IT cybersecurity specialist to perform the functions as your CIO, but there's a little bit more to it than that. So an accountant, a CPA serving to your business needs, your financial business needs, doesn't need to have some signatures on some uh, documents because the president signs it in lieu of. Cybersecurity, you can't have a rent uh, cybersecurity expert, you know, the, the documents, the NIST and whatnot, they, they, don't, they don't allow for that. Uh, and so now the president either has to get smart on that and sign uh, in these small companies uh, or they need a more permanent solution. And uh, so you're seeing a lot more of the uh, information technology, cybersecurity professionals moving. And it's kind of interesting this year alone, when you think that the business impact of the pandemic, yet there seems to be more and more uh, IT cyber folks who are putting it on a shingle and opening up their own company uh, and leaving some of the bigs. Uh, I think there's still a natural maturation process that needs to occur for those professionals. It's one thing to have your laptop connected to a secure um, uh, uh, server, uh, you know, service. It's another thing to run multiple laptops, multiple workstations across a larger system with mobile phones connected and an, and an IR plan and an ISP and all, you know, it's just, it's a lot more. Uh, and so as you begin to mature inside that environment, you become more valuable and you get to come back to your roots and see the smile on the face of a president who's writing you a check saying, thank you, you know, versus just getting your paycheck and having someone call you, why won't my cell phone work? You're like, oh, man, you know, it, there's a there's a, a touch there. And I think some of that that human touch is because we've been restricted from each other as well over the year. Human beings are naturally that way, you know, especially as introverts, you and me, Sean. Uh, <laughs> you know, we need that human interaction. And uh, while Zoom and, and, and Teams are great platforms uh, for having those uh, virtual meetings, there's still that touch part that, that's, that's uh, kind of been missing. And we're finding that, that that's becoming part and parcel to it. Um, and, and, and I think also the larges are figuring out ways to keep the smalls more included in their efforts. Uh, some of the larges are offering cybersecurity as a service in a, in a roundabout way. Um, and so when you're a company that has to have all of your information uh, accessible by your service provider, your cybersecurity service provider, you begin to get, get, begin to get a little nervous. And so you can understand why the uh, controlled unclassified information needs to be stored on a server, but why does my financial stuff need to be there as well? Well, because it's all on the same network. Uh, and so you, you begin to see, well, what options are there really then for these smalls? Um, how much is it going to cost? When do they need to get this level versus next level? Um, how are you going to go about doing your self-assessment? Because even these self-assessments aren't necessarily written for someone um, unless they have a modicum of uh, of a background in, in information technology and cybersecurity. Um, just simple words like user and admin. And it's like, well, yeah, I have admin privileges because when I bought this laptop, it asked who's the admin. It's like, well, eh, not quite the same thing um, as what, what is used within the cybersecurity community. So I, I, it's been interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's a great. Uh, it's uh, been a lot great, more collaboration. Great, great I this think is a great as well. time to a actually lot more collaboration. Talk, and we're gonna come right back. We're talking to Dr. Richard Klodnicki, uh, President and CEO. He's given us uh, of Arity, uh, giving us his perspectives. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Murray. Uh, we've got Chris Gorig and I are doing an end of year. We've got a special guest from Arity, um, Doc Klodnicki. Uh, he's given us his perspectives. Doc's uh, background uh, is a lot with the uh, the military, the government, and uh, you know he's sharing his perspectives uh, as being a, a member of the cybersecurity maturity model uh, board and, and you know the challenges that we see uh, during the global pandemic for protecting that supply chain. Um, Chris, you know, what questions might you have for Doc regarding that the supply chain based on, you know, some of the things that he was discussing a little bit earlier? You know, the first thing that always comes to mind, and I like to play the devil's advocate on this one a little bit, is I've been around this for a couple of years and I've seen every, about every two years a whole new compliance format comes along. RMF, we got the NIST 171, now the C2M2. I think there was a couple in between there. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be required next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we promise. We're the government. We're the government. We're going to require it mandatory. <laughs> Is this one really stick? Well, um, you know, they say that past performance is never a predictor of future. Uh, however, reliability studies always have you look at what have you done in the past and it's probably going to do the same thing again. So, um, you know, in the military, we use the term, uh, you know, a, a performance report bullet. Someone has to change something. Otherwise they don't get a bullet saying they existed on their report. Uh, you know, and some of these standards are just getting renamed and relabeled. Um, some of them are, are clearly adaptive to the new environment in which we're in. And I think uh, without a small bit of history onto how the World Wide Web and the Internet and the Internet of Things uh, came about, uh, it, was, it was originally designed as a sharing platform. It was a closed sharing platform, but it was a sharing platform. And when you uh, opened it up to the world, um, you were expecting from a security standpoint that you had built your foundation on solid concrete. No, you built it on sponge with all kinds of holes so that you could get information in and out. And we just run around the basement all the time, plugging in new holes, uh, finding new holes, finding out that the hole we plugged really is an ancillary hole to another bigger hole. Uh, and so from that perspective, it's gonna be a perpetual battle. Um, and it's, it's also just another way for other human behaviors to be exacerbated. So there's always been, you know, competitive intelligence, and then competitive intelligence sometimes comes into corporate espionage. Well, it's the same thing when you talk about human. You know, if I go dumpster diving, you've thrown it away. The law says it's trash. But if it's if it's a list of all the passwords across the system, and you wrote proprietary information on there, now what? Um, so if you take that hard copy construct and apply it to the electronic world. Um, you know, you've got companies out there that will offer you a password protection capabilities, you know, I, I don't, I don't use them. Um, but uh, you, you know, you go along the lines of you type in your common one and it, it sorts it for you and creates this one and blah, 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 blah. Well, is that part of cybersecurity? Is that part of cyber hygiene? Is that a password? Well, it started out username password. 
And then for good cyber or information technology, it's still a password. And then information technology became cybersecurity. And now it's cyber hygiene. So yeah, the words keep changing, but it's still the same thing. What's your username and password and protect it. Um, and I think it, there's a strong corollary between that and say the COVID-19, right? S don't sneeze on people, cover your sneeze. Don't go to work if you're sick. Uh, you know, cover your face as much as you can, uh, socially distance, those sorts of things. Well, don't share your password with the world. Don't share your user ID and password. You know, when you load files onto a system that's shared, make sure that everyone who's sharing it isn't sick. You know, they don't have the uh, uh, virus. Um, you know, so there, there's, I think that if you can make those kind of connections, then you begin to see, oh, wait a minute, this virus has morphed. Yeah, cybersecurity morphs, so it does change. And I think two years is a pretty good um, a number there. Uh, and so it takes a while for people to notice a problem, to, to find a solution, and then to incorporate it into the general business practices. Um, you know, I, I work with small businesses, I mean, startup smalls. Uh, and, and so every penny they spend has to be um, a value add for them. And so I explain them and say, look, it's like when you look at a house, if you're driving down a street and, you're, and you have ill intent, you want to go into someone's building. If their front door is open, their windows cracked open, and you can see all kinds of gold trinkets, right? But if the front door is locked and the window's open, but there's a cactus under the window, you might go to the next house. And so cybersecurity, cyber hygiene is really about saying, don't, this is not a most hospitable environment for you. Go, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why when you, when you go to the government's website and you do your assessment, they're basically saying, you know, do you have 110 things that you can say about your house that tell the nefarious character, move along? Are you going to be protected from someone who's got a machine that just comes along, picks up your house and takes it and go? No, you're too, you're small, and the fire eye and the solar wind is a perfect example of even the bigs can get hacked. You know, and the the saying in the cybersecurity world is we have to, the defender has to be right 100 percent of the time. The attacker only has to be right once. Yeah. Um, and then the floodgates are open. Um, I also think there's been some real amazing movement. I, I, I'm really blessed to work with a number of companies who are doing cybersecurity things that are absolutely amazing. Um, real-time cyber stream capture and assessment so that when you get an alert, you don't have to pull all the tapes out and then, you know, do it. You can do it real time. So the tools are fast. The alerting system is fast. The storage capacities are humongous. Um, the virtualization of machines, the separation of data, it's, it's just incredible uh, every day what happens uh, that is a positive behind the scenes um, you know, kind of like you don't think about your heart beating and your lungs, you know, expanding and contracting. It just sort of happens. Well, now we're getting much better at moving the blood. We're getting much better at detecting things. You know, the liver is a we have a much better liver on our system and, and your lungs and heart are just moving along. They, they don't notice any difference. And wow, it's been a long time since I've had a cold. I wonder, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so there's there's a there's just a better approach to the body of the cybersecurity. But because of that, that means that when there is a damage or an injury, it's that much more catastrophic. Uh, and so when we start looking at, you know, two years ago, would anybody have predicted the supply chain issues that we have? Uh, if they did, I'm sure they put that bet down and are very wealthy right now. But uh, 
you know, you've got, you do have some supply chain issues. You do have some cybersecurity issues. And so you have the concerns of, well, what you, you know, used to be, you call the IT desk, right? The help desk. And go, well, why can't I access this? Well, that's a stupid rule. You know, and people are like, well, you don't understand why we do that. There's more and more people now that understand some of these rule sets that we have in place because they're getting a letter in the mail saying, congratulations, you, your credit card was approved and it will be mailed to not your address. And they're going, whoa, whoa, I should have perhaps not asked for that little uh, bit of freedom in the, in the system. And, and I think that, again, we, we need to get that taxonomy more in, inculcated into the common vernacular of the business person. We need to understand that these are necessary costs in, in, for some and or uh, prohibitive costs for other or barriers to entry for yet another. Um, and this applies outside of the, the, the government contracting. There's, I can't remember the number of states now where the, the law uh, tells you that you have to secure data. So when you get your business insurance, you can get cybersecurity insurance. I mean, but even if you have the insurance, you're still uh, liable for your behavior to not secure the information. And so the reasonable person construct that we have uh, across our legal system now within the business system, what is that reasonable person? Now we've added an aspect to the reasonableness of and cybersecurity and cyber hygiene. Uh, so it's gonna get uh, it's it's gonna get taught more and more. I think you'll see high school students also getting taught some of this as opposed to just the cursory. Don't share your password with anybody, and that's it. You never hear anything more about cyber hygiene for the rest of the time you're in high school. Uh, to um, you know, I mean, when you look at some of these uh, white hat events, you know, these hacking events, it's incredible how much younger some of these phenomenal hackers are because they they get it. They understand the history that the basement is made of sponge and there's just lots of places to poke around and find things. Mm -hmm. And they're beginning to understand how we are architect. Uh, and and so when you when you try and find being raised with the technology, right? Oh, yeah. And so yeah. we're going to come I mean, right back and we'll uh, we'll hit back on that. We're going to take a break right after this. We're talking to Doc Klagnicki from Arity. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. New Cyber Frontier. Sean Murray, Chris Gorg with Doc Klagnicki from Arity. Uh, talking about what this pandemic has done to the business community and, uh, you know, focus on this discussion a lot having to do with uh, cyber hygiene, you know, one of those those key buzzwords uh, as it applies to those who are part of the supply chain, cybersecurity maturity model. Um, so let's go back to that conversation about the technology and that small business that may be part of the, the, the supply chain. So we talked about some of the challenges of, of of CMMC, you know, progressing uh, during a pandemic and some of the things that, you know, uh, we've decided uh, it was published last month, uh, the new rendition of, hey, here's level one, here's level three, this is what you have to do. These are the controls. They kind of made it a little bit easier. Um, but, you know, when I look at the stimulus packages that are coming out, uh, I don't see anything that says we're going to help you become CMMC level one or level three and in its investment in time and technology, given that you're a manufacturer and you don't know anything about cyber. Um, yeah, we're seeing companies that are part of that supply chain saying, you know what, 
don't want anything to do with it. There's no guarantee I'm going to get this contract. You're telling me I have to be CMMC level three and, you know, I'm going against bidding against five other companies or 50 other companies. You know what? I'll find something else to do. How are you? What, what are your thoughts on that piece? Well, and it works the other way as well, Sean, and that's a really good question. Um, so when we look within the federal government and the mandates on doing business within the federal government and what are called the representations and certifications, you know, so when you submit your proposal, you represent that your company has a certain capability and you certify that capability. And if you if you lied, then you're in big trouble because it's, a you know, you've lied on a government form. Um, same can be said going the other way that uh, if you're not working with a government contract, you know, you're working in the civilian market for uh, um, non-federal market, non-government market. If you make an, uh, a representation of your capabilities, we talked about there's now some laws in different states that say, no, you represented yourself as being able to do these things. Um, and so now you have to do those things. And so what we're finding is that um, through some really amazing uh, small business uh, incentive programs that we have in a number of different areas, across this country, uh, both uh, all the branches of the service, but especially the new U.S. Space Force and its digital, uh, you know, it's, it's a desire to be an, a digital uh, service. Um, we're finding that there's a number of capabilities outside of the DOD uh, contracting world that are going to match really well. They just haven't labeled it the way that the government labels things. Um, and so if you can if you can get that Rosetta Stone to transfer your terminology to government terminology and you take that 110 step, you might find out that you've got 90 of them already. You just didn't know it because you didn't speak government speak. Um, but by the same token, you've got some really phenomenal capabilities that the government is looking at and going, wow, if I do this one capability, I only need 103 because this one takes over these seven. Or additional six, six plus one, seven, seven, 110, 103, right? Never do math out loud in public. <laughs> and so uh, you begin to see that these competencies that are outside of the government contracting world have a lot of validity within it. And I think that the uh, understanding from the DOD was that once we've got uh, CMMC uh, uh, um, uh, uh, certified, Right. And we start this program going codified. Sorry. We're, it's going to acculturate outside of this market. And we're going to find because it's because because God bless America, it's capitalist. Right. You're going to go, hey, there's a want and a need. And I have a service or a product for a customer. The government's going to they they have this gaping hole. You know, in your mind as a business, you see it as a gaping hole. because You can drive a truck through it. And great. Other people. Won't, oh, there's a, there's a pinprick in the sponge basement. I know how to fill that. And you come in with that capability and all of a sudden you go, wow, that has even more capability than we originally thought. And again, now you're 107. Let's just say, you know, 103. I mean, let's just say this one takes three more off the list. So now you only have 100 and you just keep going and going until you start finding that what is a very standard format outside of DOD can come in and become a standard now you always have the problem that if everything is standard, then you only then then it becomes a single point of failure, right? So you still want to have some of that leeway and luxury, and you don't want to restrict businesses from being able to run their own businesses, but they do need to be cyber secure. So you're basically saying, look, don't show up on the field uh, to play if you're sick. You know, have some good cyber hygiene. Don't come to work sick. Don't don't come to our system with a virus. 
Um, you know, don't come to work with a with a vulnerability that can hurt others. Uh, it's it's a very collective kind of approach, but it's being handled through through capitalism. Um, and I think that that's gonna that's really where you're gonna keep the innovation coming. And like you said, these the, the youngsters that are growing up day in and day out with this stuff. I mean, you ask them, hey, when was the last time you got you know clotheslined by the telephone cable in the kitchen? And they just look at you like they have no clue what you're talking about. And people my age are going, oh, that happened all the time. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier on a special year-end review. Dr. Murray here with me. We're both in the same room. As usually, you don't hear from us on the same podcast together. No, no it's great. It's great. Uh, great idea to, you know, summarize a great year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with oh, one- I can't. I can't wait on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's <what> the- <laughs> and also, we have a. a Senator Kent Lambert, who was a previous senator in Colorado, joining us to give kind of our legal perspective and uh, a great segment here with this segue into it, you know, quite a toxic environment this year in general. We won't even say disease toxic, we'll say legislative and government toxic. What, give us a review of your thoughts for 2020. No, just, uh, you know, 2020, I think everybody is still sort of in the state of shock for 2020 and wants to move on. I mean, that's what we keep hearing, you know, let's let's move on and make things better and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody uh, knows I, I, I like the, uh, um, you, you know, the, the official mascot of 2020 was the raccoon because he's incessantly washing his hands, always wears a mask. And if you mix up the letters in raccoon, they spell Corona. So, you know, we, we've uh, uh, all gone through that. I think we're at a point now where we're saying, well, what the heck is going on here? How can we get out of this? And, and I think that uh, is complicated to a large extent by public policy that's not very unified and we don't know where we're going so or where we want to go in some of these things so even you know in some states uh, my uh, son lives in california and a lot of people california new york other places are absolutely fit to be tied because they see a lot of maybe well well-meaning policies but the well-meaning policies are not typically working as a matter of fact they seem to be uh, in, in many cases, counterproductive. So going into 2021, I'm getting a hit on the questions here, but uh, I think for a while, we're still stuck in this malaise here. I think we're going to have a hard time climbing back out of this. And I think just because the calendar's rolling over is probably not going to uh, uh, have a lot of good news, at least for several months. Yeah. And, and here towards the end of the year, we had we had talked about right before that we got on the show here that the um, there's been a lot of uh, recent compromises with solar winds and the fire eye issues, and um, what does that do for the political environment? And your take was that you know you know we already know there's a gag order. None of the companies involved can talk about anything from the federal government. That's the opposite of openness and unsiloed that we were pushing for over the last couple of years. Does this drive us back to the stone age with visibility and openness and security? Well, I, I think it very well could. I mean, we have to have a balance of good security and then openness and 
honest, open, informed discussion in our policies. And my experience, you know, I was in state government for 12, 12 years. And uh, I mean, within one thing that really aggravates me all the way from the time of uh, uh, 9-11 is very little sharing with the state governments on, on, in areas of, especially about information, security, cybersecurity. There is, uh, there, we have two levels of government. There are very few checks and balances. And where Homeland Security really should be based upon the states, uh, we've really never, really never gotten to that point uh, of information sharing. So how do state governments, how do state legislators make policy when they are excluded from critical information? That is a huge issue. And that will continue until, uh, until we get better. And the knee-jerk reaction on solar winds is lock everything down. Don't say anything about it. Uh, and I, I can understand the logic of the security side of that, but to establish good constructive policies that will stop this type of cyber attack and this type of threat in the future, uh, as well as our, our internal vulnerabilities, we need to have informed people who are making informed decisions and not just in one branch of government. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds like the, you know, media gag order, and then if information ever comes out or never does, in the last few years, I've heard we have to break down the silos between different departments in the government, different facets of the government, different you know, companies and the government, private partner or public-private partnerships. And as soon as anything does major, anything major happens, we shut it all, we go back. What are your thoughts on that, Sean? You know, it's funny because I, I, I'm sitting here thinking back in, in circa 2011, uh, NSA called up the CEOs of, of several major defense contractors and called them all up to the fort and handed them a, a folder, each one of them saying, this is what they got from you. This is what they got from you. This is what they got from you. Apply that to the state and federal government relationship. How many thick systems are connected to federal systems, which, you know, this conversation doesn't even make sense as to why you wouldn't have a collaborative discussion with your state, um, your IT folks or your state governments. Yeah, I think some of our IT folks are, are frankly, at the, at the state level are kind of shut out from the mainstream also. I mean, one of the, one of the things that uh, we have a problem with is, for instance, security clearances. There are no common security clearances, except maybe for very senior officers in uh, state government, like the governor, or maybe the lieutenant governor. But in, in state legislatures, that just doesn't happen. And that's, that's uh, I can understand it from the security point of view, but it doesn't help solve the problem. Welcome back to this segment on New Cyber Frontier, the end of year review. Um, and it's been it's been a great talk with a lot of different guests we had on here that we're gonna you'll see piece together in this. Um, right now we're kind of Dr. Murray and I closing this out and finalizing you know some of the things we didn't hear. We're gonna touch touch on from our list of what we thought was you know valuable in the the year 2020 and into 2021. So thanks for joining today, Sean. And yeah, going. no, this is a great idea. We should do this every year. Yeah, definitely. So when we're looking at uh, just some of the things that we had some the guests covered from startups to government to political, 
Um, we had some of the, the uh, international organizations. Some pandemic stuff. Pandemic stuff. Um, uh, supply chain and the big theme 2020 yeah. was that we realized some holes in going to remote, everybody at home, we couldn't see everybody. Supply chains became an issue. We all saw it in the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Misinformation campaigns, right? Social Mis engineering. Misinformation, yes. Yeah. And we got hot, what the political environments could be called a disaster. Well, Just, all of it. The perfect storm we talked about earlier with our earlier guest, right? So you've got a campaign running, you've got a global pandemic, you've got, you know, small business, everybody's vying for resources all over the place. So, you know, there's little focus in the beginning of the year on cybersecurity. And then, you know, that caught up with us in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the areas we, when we talk about supply chain, we, we got into, you know, a lot of the military and the the physical supply chain and what's going on with with the new shift to Amazon and big behemoth companies yeah. and shipping but um, critical infrastructure seemed like in homeland security shifting to the pandemic adjusting kind of dropped lost track of you know what's going on with critical infrastructure you know it's it's funny because uh, we've done a lot of you know, podcasts and in, in, in some webinars and stuff on various elements of um, supply chain as it affects various areas of our federal government, like the FCC, communications, uh, you know, supply chain as it's associated with moving products and, 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 and uh, supplies around uh, the United States. Um, and it, uh, most of it's automated now. So if it's automated, how are we protecting it? This goes back to our conversation earlier about tangible versus intangible. So, you know, the perception of people, if I can see it, I can touch it, it means something to me. Whereas something that you subscribe to, like uh, cybersecurity services, MSSP, or um, if I can't see it, uh, then it's not there. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but we know that it is there, and we've been the recipient of, of big attacks and, and disruptions. And sometimes the attacks aren't even known for months to a year, you know, past uh, things. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And I think we'll have a job forever. Yeah. Well, in critical infrastructure, I think, has, has taken a new, a new turn here where now we've realized that our supply chains our critical infrastructure. The entities we trust are critical infrastructure. Do we trust the government? Do we trust Amazon, which is what we've all turned to? Right. Yeah. Do we trust our small mom and pop stores? Our head's shaking because we right. we changed our mind. And and all of them are part of the national critical infrastructure. There's there's various categories where they're all represented, and it's not all government. A lot of it has to do with commercialization of you know a, a country with free trade, mm -hmm. and a lot of it's based on 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 the trust associated with those areas that contribute to the overall success of our economy, um, to our political infrastructure, where in in the ability to just get things to where they need to be. Uh, when you talk about industrial control systems, you're talking about the power grid, the utilities, right? There's one flavor. You're talking about transportation. There's another flavor. Um, you can talk about uh, how we get uh, fuel from one side of the country to the other or, or from across the, mm -hmm. the globe, you know, as part of uh, the supply chain. They're all uh, manufacturing, another flavor. And they all use very unique types of systems um, that are vulnerable 
to being either hacked or through the business network. Manipulated it, in some way. Right. Yeah. The, that's the point, right? So industrial control systems, I have actually seen a lot of discussion this year. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gal that uh, I was participating with in a cyber leadership strategy um, earlier this year who is the CISO for a Kuwaiti oil company. And so her discussion is on supply chain from the time that they actually extract oil, turn it into various, you know, types of fuel, and then how they distribute that globally. There's lots of different industrial control systems that are now connected via cellular networks, via IP, you know, Ethernet networks, that she has to keep the, those types of things into consideration. So that's just one aspect of it, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple countries that have not been affected by the pandemic. You think, how's that possible? Right. Um, but I think it was South Korea. Their GDP has actually increased because of the global pandemic. Yeah. And what, I saw this in, a, in a, one of our IEEE of um, International Global Economics Reviews for the 2020. Um, and there were several countries at the top there where they actually attributed it to their infrastructure already being virtual, almost 100% and distributed, and their critical infrastructure being established within enough modern, recent enough times that they don't have the uh, miscommunication problems or the, in, in, you know, the antiquated equipment problem that we have in the U.S. where our critical infrastructure still has stuff operating right. from the 30s and 40s. Well, I think some part of that, you know, in the previous conversation is also geopolitical. So um, some countries have a better geopolitical um, collaboration, whereas, you know, take a look at what happened here in the last year, just having a global pandemic during election year. Uh, we've seen a lot of, 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 you know, we use the word toxicity um, both on both you know realms. So, what's your priority compared to this priority? Is it bipartisan? Who's, you know, in, who's going to get the money? Um, you know, we talked about CMMC, how that's affecting the supply chain. Um, what, uh, what the federal government's doing with the state government? You know, no collaboration. Everything's shutting down as far as communication goes, yeah, and it should be wide open. I think you brought up some trusted intelligence source, cyber intelligence. We look to things, three-letter agencies in the U.S., the NSA, as soon as, but we found out in the last couple of months, last couple of weeks, actually, that whenever something actually happens, the NSA becomes the NSA, and it's ZZZZ. <laughs> right. Be you quiet, shut up, keep everything clipped yeah, under we've, wraps. We've seen a lot more from CISA uh, this year, you know, under Homeland Security. Uh, I think they're more the voice of, you know, um, of the rest of the, the public. But, you know, a lot of that comes in uh, NSA, um, DIA, you know, whoever the intelligence agencies are, you know, they stood up after 9-11, uh, Director of National Intelligence. How does that feed back into uh, a, collaborative, a collaboration between the states uh, and the other, you know, alphabet agencies like FBI, Homeland Security? Um, and the private sector companies, right, too. Absolutely. Probably private partnerships. To be there. able to educate them and, and be ahead of the game instead of responsive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the misinformation. How do you weed out? How many times do, do our kids come home and say, this is happening, and they just saw something on social media? Right. And, 
And we've seen that. I mean, just we were talking earlier, you know, I think there is there is a responsibility with social media platforms to be able to weed out misinformation campaigns. We've seen some speak coming from some of the bigger ones on how they've been able to disrupt misinformation campaigns. But it could be an individual. It could be a, a organized crime. It could be a state actor. Uh, all they needed to do is, put, uh, you know, Plant a seed, let it grow. If you promote it in enough areas, everyone else will grasp onto it and, and, and send it out. The latest one I just heard last week was, oh, you know, from a family member, a close family member, you know, in my circle, you know, we're not going to get that vaccine because the government has put a chip in each one of the vaccines. I'm like, do you know the logistical, you know, nightmare that would take? You know, how many, was there 25 doses in a vial? You know, how do you separate, you know, 25 chips to make sure they get into that tiny little syringe? We're not organized enough to do that. So misinformation. Misinformation and conspiracy theory has really... I think a it's lot of people a big, have jumped yeah. on that in the last yeah. last year. All those things that, and and you know, one time um, somebody told me we were talking about Wall Street and how whenever the market's on a bear market, all these people come out and talk negative. Whenever it's on a bull market, all the people come out and talk positive, right? right? Trying to manipulate all those things. people are still there in the opposite time. The bears are still there when the market's doing great. They're just not on camera, right? And yeah. Sun it's Tzu, who you right? Decide to listen to, yeah. Sun Tzu, make yourself look weak when you're strong. Make yourself look strong when you're weak. There right? you go. But yeah, that definitely I could see that that the future is is very dependent on that. And 2021 will be a year of kind of recognizing it. There has to be some valid, and that's I think where a lot of the things that Kent started talking about with international alliance of trust chains using new tools like distributed ledger different types of, uh, of, of encryption protection right. to start to bring the tools to enable privacy. And I think that's the thing when uh, we played a little bit from clips with, with uh, Dr. Roop, who was talking about what the IEEE is doing um, and actually funding efforts to try to make technology for individual citizens' privacy. If we can make one person be able to control their data and have all the tools to be able to do so, no matter where it's stored and what platform it's on, having the data in a single source, a sovereign identity, if that tool exists and they can just turn it loose for everybody to use, it changes the world. And that's where, where those programs are going and the things we're working on in there. And I think 2021 is gonna be huge in seeing those start to come to light. Yeah, I, I would like to see, you know, back to uh, Ken's point, too, is the legislation to be able to support that because there's going to be resistance mm -hmm. from the big banks, the big companies that rely on the collection of your privacy information, how they mm -hmm. profit from that in various uh, areas. Uh, it, it's a lot less um, in in the EU. So you've got GDPR that can allows the consumer the data subject to control that more. Um, we're looking at maybe possibly uh, next year getting some, you know, landmark legislation, the Safe Data Act. We were talking about that earlier, you know, pulling together several uh, federal privacy uh, laws into one big uh, privacy law. It's mm -hmm. it's about time. It's overdue. 
um, in, in you know, aligning that legislation to make sure that we don't get the resistance from the big corporate conglomerates, the special interest groups, the we lobbyists. We know that's going to happen, right? though. And Absolutely. The big social media companies, we won't mention any names, right. but we all know what we're talking about, that their whole business model is right. taking They're lose money. your yeah. private information and profiting from it. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of those things for 2021 we should be looking at. I think it's going to, you know, could be critical mass. It's something that definitely has stepped up to the forefront and changed with the at home and everybody trying to figure out who, you know, who's who and what's right, right. when they can't get out in social groups and feel it, um, you know, between people in the real world. Yeah, we talk about multi-factor authentication. I have it enabled on, on on almost everything. I'm a little irritated with one of the platforms that we use for our business. They allow you to register two devices. I don't want any of my devices to be registered as trusted. Mm-hmm. I want to do MFA for everything. And, um, you know, they force you to do, a, oh, t- you won't allow two devices. I get it because they're trying to prevent, you know, multiple users of the platform based on your license. But there's got to be a better way. So, you know, uh, MFA in, in having that digital identity would provide that level of trust, assuming that the, the, that framework is trusted as well. Yeah. And I think the, the balance, and that's the thing with the framework trusted, it has to move into a trusted capability away from special interests being able to right. control it, which is literally what when uh, Kent was talking about the international lines of trust chains, it is looking at what are the neutral pieces that have to be put out publicly to say, this is how these things are set up so that you can trust them and we'll make that public. And that's a big part of it is, yes, we can make technology and a company can own technology and sell you a service, as soon as you type into that, your data is going somewhere into their control. But the International Alliance of Trust Chains is that neutral organization that says, any data in our control, we publicly display how it's handled. Right. And it's a, it's a new thought process, but it also requires the infrastructure and the funding because it's not funded by selling your information. Right. It's funded has to be funded by a large body of people no in order to of protect interest. them and the individual. And the individuals, what do they gain? How much money do they have to spend to protect their privacy? I think the answer we've seen has been zero. Other than what they're, you know, you know, whatever they're subscribing to where that there might be a false sense of security there, right? So yeah. I get an alert, but is it too late? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I'm relying on that big behemoth social media company that says in this policy, I, I accepted that they have my best interest. Or that worldwide shopping company that you only have one of that right. says they have my best interest. I believe. There's that, that button, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am who I say I am. Yep. Uh, yeah, how do you assure that in in providing the control to the data subject, um, you know, following the OECD print, uh, privacy principles right down to the T? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's coming. I don't know it'll be 2021 and maybe a couple years. Um, 
And then there's the, the trust aspect of it. We talked about the misinformation. You know, you're going to have some citizens that are be like, no, this is just another method of the government to control my information. And so I'm not going to participate. So, you know, there's yeah. going to be trade-offs. Um, I think that's what the third generation distributed ledgers do. Basically, we had Bitcoin, cryptocurrency was the first generation. Then we went to smart contracts and they could do yep. single functions. But a third generation has the whole governance structure involved with it. Right. All the pieces that say this, we have the neutral display of who's involved, what they did, but also the protection of the individual. And that balance, that, that piece is that governance piece. But that technology is, you know, a couple of years down the road. You know, the services out now, are they going to, you know, how are they going to hold up until then? You know, it's all a matter of what do we have in 2021. It might be, you know, a transition year, but it's definitely something different than we thought it would be beginning of last year. Well, some of the complications I see as well is um, you're going to see large, complex, organized crime. Um, you're going to see state actors who still, I mean, at, we have spy agencies uh, globally. Everybody, every country's got them. They're going to compromise that framework, whatever framework it is, because, you know, we're not doing, you know, clandestine work um, the same way anymore. We're not doing, we're not traveling around the world on, with different identities. How do you issue multiple identities? You know, and who's going to have influence over that? So again, you know, we're talking about a, a trusted framework, but we also have to keep in the back of our minds, those influences outside of our control that may compromise, it's just a matter of time, mm -hmm. you know, those frameworks. The unknown, and that's actually something as as these infrastructures are stood up that, that are, is already being identified, that there's entirely new issues. Yeah. And if all of the lawyers in the state of Colorado were required to be on a distributed ledger, now we have and they might even, their privacy might even protect it, where you can't tell who they are and what their name is. But now we have the demographics, the economics of a whole demographic of people in a particular region. Right. And it's a whole new set of data that becomes a viable for use by for good or bad. You know? And maybe that's where you start, right? So you start with a demographic, say, such as if you're a licensed attorney. Mm -hmm. Or when you graduate from college, your digital identity is now attached to the degree program that you attended. Start out with a uh, demographic like that. Um, look at the case analysis, make sure it's working as it's intended. Use those to get into the other you know, yeah. cases, the other uses. Well, what, what you have, though, with this economic information is you know now how the whole legal profession as a whole is operating. Yeah. Did they do more cases this year than last year? And what Did were they those speed cases? up in the last quarter? Are they speed are they increased in an area or reduced in a certain area? Are they related to a certain jurisdiction that might be more lenient than another? You have these relationships that didn't exist before that show how stable a s captured demographic of people are. So it's a, it's just an interesting dynamic that, right. that now we can see from starting third generation distributed ledgers where a whole demographic of people are required to be involved, there's a new set of problems. Right. Well, and then based on the results and the outcomes, 
uh, that may, from those subjects that are the participants, they may not like the outcome or the, what the data suggests. Well, the outcome, and the thing is, that it can be masked to their individual privacy. Mm -hmm. But knowing that all the attorneys in the state got more business this year and they're all around $350,000 income is a very good economic indicator. Sure. It's good information. Yes. Back to the intelligence piece. Exactly. So that... that that, and that's what, when we talk about the IATC that Senator Lambert brought up, that's the control that's looking at adjusting right. and, and identifying those pieces and, and how they're kept either neutrally available or not available to the, you know, to who and who, who would have access to them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, the next couple of years uh, to see how everything balances out. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm... I do a lot of work with, uh, I actually lead the uh, Small Business Development Center cyber team here uh, locally in uh, for Pikes Peak uh, region, so um, for El Paso and Teller County. And so there's been a lot of focus this year with small business and, and how to keep them viable. And uh, we're now working uh, at the national level with the Small Business Administration, developing a framework to go into another topic we were talking about, and that is how do we train people, right? Mm -hmm. How do we train citizens and how do we train small business, right? And so uh, it should be a unified approach, not, you know, a bit, a piece here, a piece there. And, you know, there should be a unified approach with cybersecurity experts and include your psychologists and include some Players aspects of, yeah, because you've got to make sure you're delivering it appropriately. You've got mm -hmm. the right mindset and the context to deliver it because going back to some of our previous conversations, that lingo, those acronyms, all of those things, you know, people are looking at you like glazed over. You've got to educate them without overwhelming them. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I, I, I think you know, we have a challenging time ahead. I don't know if we've covered everything we had in mind for, <laughs> Probably for what we think is coming down the line. But we're definitely running into we've, the time we allotted for, you know, kind of this discussion. And we hope everybody out there has gained a lot from it. We're always looking for great topics and great guests um, for people that things you need, things you want to hear from, yeah, the companies that you want to hear from. And we've also started some new lines where we do product reviews. If a company wants to have their product kind of looked at, evaluated, a discussion, and publicly vet that. Or a service. Service. Bring yeah. it to us. Get Reach out to us at uh, New Cyber Frontier. Um, and uh, you'll see us incorporating a lot of these things that help the community here in the new futures, uh, future here as, as we become a great, uh, a wide, quite a big reach here as to our listener base and around the world and a lot of times you know it's a small group of people but it is very diverse yeah and we're a great lot resource a lot of uh you know the the few people that are in every company that that need to know about cybersecurity, um and especially ceos if you're a ceo of a company you've got to be tuned in to what we're talking about and right. the, the path and then you'll learn some the right questions to be asking your cio or your cso or your yeah. cto definitely all right, well, thanks for joining today and uh, on the special year in review. Signing off, Chris Gorog. Sean Murray. Thanks a lot for joining. Listen thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed 
bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.